Uh, hi, good morning. My name is Darren. I'm one of the shepherds on staff. I want to greet you all and welcome you, whether you're family around here or if you're a guest, I know coming out of Thanksgiving week, uh, you may be here with family or in from out of town or whatever. We're excited that you're here. And if you are local, uh, we would love to make sure you feel welcome and recognize that we hope this won't just be a... Uh, an, uh, an infrequent occurrence, but that you'll feel like family around here and, and anything I can do personally as part of the staff to help you feel like this is home, I'm happy to do. So let me know. Uh, one thing I want to do before we dive into Genesis 21 in our text this morning is I, I want to talk really quickly about sort of the Christmas season because we got a lot of moving pieces and a lot of cool things that are happening. And I want to make sure you are sort of aware about all those. In fact, when you came in today, hopefully they gave you one of these, but let me just kind of hit this really briefly. Um, one of the, well, first of all, this Sunday morning will will be our last Sunday in Genesis until January. So we're going to stop. We're going to press pause on the Genesis series. Next week, we'll start a brand new series just for Advent for the Christmas season. And I'll tell you more about that next week. Uh, but uh, for, uh, for starting next week, there's all kinds of things happening. So in the last year, we've had a lot of new folks come to our church. So we've got new families and new people from the neighborhood, some who, uh, who started watching online and have since started joining us in person. And we're really excited that you're here and that you're calling this your church home. We're happy to have you as part of the family. But unfortunately, sometimes we get a lot of new people and then people that have been around for 50 or 60 years and they don't know each other, right? So what we're trying to do is every Sunday uh, during December, we're doing kind of a different sort of a holiday party, a Christmas party after church uh, every Sunday. So you'll see on here a thing called Christmas Sunday Fun Day. Every Sunday, starting next week for three weeks, we're doing kind of a, a little bit of a hangout. We're going to cook food. I think next week we're doing burgers and bingo and they're going to have games and other stuff. Sorry, I know for a fact that the microphone is freaking out because I haven't shaved my beard. I know what's going on, right? So uh, I, I will work on that for all of you. But um, so here's what I'd like you to do. Will you please set aside your other lunch plans for the next three weeks and just plan to come and meet some people, introduce yourself, uh, let your kids come and play. We're going to have some fun. It'll, it's basically from 1230 to 2 on the next three Sundays, just us being family together and getting to know one another. So make plans to join us for those. Uh, also, um, if you've been around for a little while, you know that maybe the coolest event we do all year is our special needs Christmas program. That's happening next Sunday night at 6 o'clock right here. If you haven't been a part of that, our special needs crew have been practicing and rehearsing and preparing for months, and it's going to be great. So plan to join us next Sunday night for that. It's also worth noting we have a congregational meeting uh, on the 12th of December. That'll happen at 2 o'clock. So right after the Sunday fun day, lunch party deal, uh, then we'll have a congregational meeting. You're welcome to join us for that. We'd like to let people know those are happening. Uh, we've also got here on December 9th an Advent night of worship. That's happening at 7. Now, that Advent night of worship is the culmination of the, uh, the Advent email devotionals. Some of you probably early this morning got the first. If you're on our e-news email list, you got the first of those Advent devotionals. Those will happen every day until this night of worship. So, and by the way, that's probably a good note. If you didn't get one of those today, that means you're not on our e-news list. And we'd love to be able to keep you informed about what's happening around here. So you can go on the app or on the website, get us your email, or you can even do that at the connection table, and we'll make sure you're getting those emails. So night of worship, uh, three Sunday fun days, Hawaiian Christmas program next Sunday night, uh, congregational meeting on the 12th, and then all of our sort of celebrating culminates uh, with our Christmas Eve services. We're doing three of those. Uh, the first two are at 3 and 4.30. They're happening right in here. Those are all family services. And then uh, on the, the evening of Christmas Eve at 11.15, we have an outdoor service in the tent, 
And that's pretty scaled back. So that's kind of an acoustic thing. We think of that Christmas Eve service, the late night one, as sort of a reverse tenebrae service. So if you've ever been to a tenebrae service on Good Friday where they sort of uh, snuff out the candles one by one in preparation for the death of Christ and celebration and recognition of that, at Christmas Eve we do sort of a reverse tenebrae where we light the candles in preparation for the incarnation and the coming of Christ. So uh, all of those are open and available to everybody. We'd love to have you be a part of those. The, uh, the two the 3 and 4.30 are in here. The 11.15 is outside, and that finishes at midnight. So we're, we're done right on the spot. It's a 45-minute service that night. So in addition to that, uh, student ministries are doing things. Men's ministries doing things. Women's ministries doing things. There's all kinds of Christmas events happening. Our adult fellowships, many of them, are doing Christmas parties. Some of them have already done those even. Uh, but it's a great time to get connected, meet some people, celebrate Christmas together. And I wanted to make sure you saw all of that. Uh, as we sort of dive in this morning. All right. If you have any questions, you can email us or whatever, and we'll hit you on that. Our text this morning in Genesis 21, uh, at first glance, might appear to you as kind of a throwaway text. I said two weeks ago when we were looking at Genesis 20, that you might be tempted to skip over Genesis 20 because it's so difficult, right? It's a heavy text. There's a lot of kind of ugly stuff happening there, and it might be tempting to move away from it because it's hard. The end of Genesis 21 is not a hard text to comprehend. It's not difficult to get your mind around. You might be tempted to skip it, and I've seen some uh, pastors do this, skip over it because it just at first glance might seem like it's not particularly significant. You've got a guy named Abimelech who is uh, the king of this region where the Philistines live. By the way, Abimelech, not his proper first name that his mom gave him, but a an honorary title like Pharaoh or Caesar, right? So we'll see another Abimelech come up in Genesis 26, likely not the same guy, but in the same seat. Does that that follow? So anyway, this guy Abimelech, the king, he brings the commander of his army, Phicol, also an honorary title, Phicol. He brings his his commander of his army to Abraham and says, hey, we've we've been watching you and we see that God is with you and we feel like it would be smart for us to be aligned with you, right? We can look at that literally. Look, look here, it says uh, in verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have so others and to love sacrificially. They don't really fit in a culture like ours. And our argument here is that simply by living a life that reveals Christ, there is a natural magnetism that happens where you don't have to, you don't have to trick people into listening to you talk about God. We don't do the bait and switch around here. We don't lure people in and then surprise them with an evangelistic presentation. We're just living a life of faithfulness and recognizing that the oddity of a life of faithfulness is itself a draw to people who do not know God. That concept of ambassadorship by embracing the oddness of faith is illustrated perfectly in Genesis 21, 22 through 34. Because Abraham has lived kind of an odd life in front of Abimelech. Abraham's an old guy, a hundred years old, who just had a baby. And he didn't just have a baby, but he had a baby that God promised to him 20 plus years before that, right? Right? That's kind of weird. And if Abimelech's paying attention and he sees these old timers having baby, uh, he probably goes, something strange is going on. This very same guy, Abraham, led a successful military campaign against these kings from the east who had dominated the entire region. 
This nomad, this wanderer, raises up a couple of people and he routes the eastern kings. So he's been successful in battle. He had a kid when he was an old timer, right? He has lied. He's taken advantage of people. He's been uh, less than honest, right? And as a result, you would think that the guy's life would fall apart. But God has continued to be faithful to him. This is a guy who's prospered. This is a guy whose wealth has grown, whose, whose name has grown. All the things that God promised him have happened in front of Abimelech. So much so that Abimelech comes to Abraham and he says, I've been watching you and I can see that God is with you. That's literally what Abimelech says. I've been watching you and I can see that God is with you. And because I can see that God is with you, I want to be with you too, right? I want to get close to you because I can see that your God is true. I can see that your God is faithful. I can see that your God is real. And so I want to make a peace treaty with you. And not just for me and you, but for generations to come. I want to make an everlasting covenant with you. uh, Because I can see that God is with you. Well, what is that? If not, unforced appeal rooted in unblushing oddity. What is that if not the revelation of God by Abraham that supernaturally then draws Abimelech to Abraham's side? What we're seeing here is a perfect illustration of a thing we have to hold in front of us all the time. The idea that we have been called to reveal Christ in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in our workplaces and in our families. We have the opportunity to do that. So there, there are five points of application I want you to see in this short story. And the first one really begins just with awareness. Just being aware that people are watching you. Being aware that people are looking at you, that they're looking at your life, that they're looking at the difference between what you say and what you do. That there is a constant scrutiny going on, and and you know that already, but think about the weight and the gravity of it when, when you recognize the fact that they're not just looking at you and assessing you, but they're looking at you and they're forming an impression of what God is like through your revelation. Does that feel a little overwhelming? That there are people who are forming their understanding of who God is based on the life that you're living. The first thing is here just to say your circle is watching you. We talk about circles around here as well. The idea of a circle is, is the idea, at least in our context, recognizing that each of us are created uniquely. That none of us in this room are exactly the same. We have different hobbies. We have different likes. We have different backgrounds, different interests. We're different. And that's part of the beauty of the kingdom of God, that he's made us all different. We're all made unique, and yet we all have a place in the body. We're all equally important and valuable. And not only are we all equal and important and valuable in God's kingdom, but each and every one of us then God has surrounded with a group of people who were uniquely built to observe and to be ministered to by you. The people in your circle. By the way, Abimelech is in Abraham's circle here for the sake of this, this idea. Abimelech is in Abraham's circle. It's somebody who's watching Abraham, who's forming an impression about God and Abraham simply by being in proximity. Each and every one of us have people around us. It might be a co-worker. It might be a relative. It might be a next-door neighbor. It could be somebody that you see at a restaurant regularly or the place where you get your tires fixed or whatever, right? There are people in your circle who are looking at you. Just be aware that they're looking at you and that God has put those people in your life with purpose, They're in your life because you are uniquely suited to have an impact on them that I couldn't have. If I was injected into your friend circle and into your friend group, I would be less likely to have the impact that God created you uniquely to have, and you would be less likely to have an impact on my circle, right? Because we're wired different. It's part of the beauty of the tapestry of God's people. Abimelech is in Abraham's circle, and Abraham is being watched. We also want to be aware that our circle is watching. Now, I want to be careful as I say this, because what I'm not advocating for is that you be fake. 
I'm not saying, hey, people are watching you, so put on a good show. Or people are watching you, so make sure you use a lot of religious language. Or people are watching you, so make sure you put your best face forward or whatever. I'm not talking about pretense. I'm not talking about facade. In fact, what we see in this case is that Abimelech comes to Abraham and has to straight up say to him, hey, can I ask you not to deal with me in a way that is untrustworthy? Can I ask you just to be kind to me and not lie to me? Why? Because Abraham, the impression that he's given, while, while he's given the impression of God's faithfulness, Abraham is also very clearly given the impression of Abraham's unfaithfulness. Does that make sense? So when I say the world is watching you, I'm not saying, hey, make sure you put on a good show for your neighbors or the guy at the gas station. What I'm saying is, you be you. With your flaws and with your errors and with your mistakes. I, I don't know if you've recognized this, although around here we talk about it a lot. But everybody's busted. Everybody's broken. I mean, I was going to say, in the first service, I was like, look at the people you came to church with. Those people are broken, but you know that already, right? Look a little bit further out, right? Look a little bit further down the road. Look around you. Every one of us in the room, we all make mistakes. We all blow it. We all do things we regret. We all stumble. We all trip up. There is no need for you to cover that over or to pretend like it doesn't happen because in your honesty and in your transparency, both about the places where you're victorious and the places where you're weak, God's grace is put on display. You see, God's grace has been put on display for Abimelech in sharp relief with Abraham's failures, Abraham's weakness, his selfishness, his pride, his egotism, his abuse. All that's done for Abimelech is show how much greater God is, how much greater God's faithfulness is, that he would continue to use a broken guy like Abraham. And the same thing is true in our circles. We're not advocating here for putting on a religious front. What we're saying is, pay attention to the fact that people are looking, and be honest about the ups and the downs. Be honest about what's good and what's bad, and, and allow God's grace to be revealed in that. What's, well, well that's, then not just, uh, that's not just being aware of who God is and aware of the fact that people are looking at you, but it's also wanting to be accurate, right? So, I, by the way, I've got some alliteration here. I know some people like alliteration and some don't. I got five alliterated points this morning if you're taking notes. And in honor of Abimelech and Abraham, all of my alliterated points begin with an A. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, so, the first one is awareness, the second one is accuracy. Accuracy, your circle is forming opinions about God through you. Your circle is forming opinions about God through you, and that's by God's design. That's not a thing you can shirk off. Like, you might go, I, I don't want people to look at me and form opinions about God. I, wanna, I want them to form their opinions about God based on what they read in the Bible. That's fine. Don't look at me, right? Guess what? You don't get to opt out. Because from Genesis 1, and you may remember this from our study in Genesis, from Genesis 1, God articulated his plan, which was that you and I be image bearers. It was his purpose from the beginning that we would bear his image, right? So Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over everything, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? We were created to be image bearers. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says something similar. In Romans 8, 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, right? I think sometimes for Christians, we think about being conformed to the image of Christ, 
And we think of that as like a, it's like a prize, right? That's like the, that's like the end product. Like, oh, it's so good. Like you follow God and over time, good news, you're going to become more like Jesus. And, and while it is good for you and me that over time I become more like Jesus, I want to be really clear this morning to say that your image bearing or the revelation of Christ that God is working in you as, as you're being conformed to the image of Christ is not ultimately for you. Right? That conformity to the image of Christ is not for you. That conformity to the image of Christ is not even for God. Right? God didn't create the earth and go, well, I'm going to make them in my image so that I can see myself reflected. Because I really just want to see what I look like. I want to see what I'm like. You know, I'm looking at Darren and it's not a great reflection, but it'll do. Right? No. My, my image bearing is not for me and it's not for God. You know what my image bearing is for? My image bearing is for the people on my street. It's for the people at the tire place. It's for the people in my family. It's for the people in my school. It's for the people where I work. God has created me uniquely and is conforming me to the image of Christ so that I will reveal him in my circle, right? We have this opportunity, this blessed opportunity to reveal Christ and to do so with accuracy. You know, as I was reflecting on this this week, I was thinking about the damage in our world that's been done to the reputation of Christ and the damage that's been done in our world to to the reputation of Christianity, right? If you're paying attention to what's going on in the world, you can see that the the reputation of Christianity is on the decline, right? And that reputation, the reputation of God in our world is not in decline because of the work of the Satanists, right? It's not all the Satanists with their pentagrams and their black robes and whatever. They're not out there marring the image of Christ. It's not the work of the atheists, The atheists haven't been so successful in their smear campaigns that God's image in the world has been diminished. It's not criminals. You want to know how God's reputation in our world is being marred actively, how it's being diminished in the world? It's not the Satanists or the atheists or the criminals. The way in which the reputation of God is being diminished in our world is by the people who claim to be his followers and yet ruin his reputation with their selfishness, with their greed, with their pride, with their hatred, with their condescension. It's us. The damage done to the reputation of Christ in our world has been done by the people of God marring his image with judgmentalism, with gossip, with hypocrisy. The people look at us and they go, if that's what Jesus is like, then I don't want anything to do with him. In the same way that we are responsible for the marring of the image of Christ, I think it's important for us to remember together that in the coming decade or the coming decades, one of our primary agendas, one of our primary objectives of the people of God will be restoring and repairing the image of Christ in our world. And that's a fun challenge, right? That's a fun thing we get to do. How does it happen? By being aware that people are paying attention and being being determined to be accurate in our revelation of Christ. Not only is he aware, not only is he accurate, and so should we be, but I love the fact that in this story, in Genesis 21, Abraham is approachable. He's approachable. That might seem like a little thing to you, but I I like the fact that Abimelech feels comfortable to come knocking on Abraham's door. That Abimelech comes and says, hey, I've been watching you. I can see that God is with you. I want to ask you if you'll deal kindly and honestly with me in the future for for me and my descendants. Will you do this? I like the fact that he's open to that. I also like the fact that when he's approached by Abimelech, that Abraham agrees almost immediately. Abimelech says, hey, can we make this treaty, this everlasting treaty? And Abraham's like, yeah, let's go. Why? Well, what Abraham is modeling or what he's reflecting to Abimelech in agreeing to this covenant is simply what's been modeled to him 
by God. Have you ever sort of wished you could get a little bit closer to somebody who, who has something you wish you had? I remember when, uh, when my family and I lived in Long Beach, the lady, uh, the, the lady that lived next to us on the left had a pool in her backyard. And, uh, and we didn't have a pool in our backyard. And man, I don't know if you live next to people with a pool. If you don't have a pool and the people next to you, you hear every splash, right? You can hear every time they're having fun in that pool. You hear every time they're having a barbecue. Like we would sit in our backyard and we had bought our kids like the pump up inflatable pool for 20 bucks at Target. And they're like four of them crammed in there and they're splashing around and we could hear the glorious parties. And there were times, in, and I'm not proud of this, but there were times that I wish I could just figure out how to become better friends with the lady next door because she had the pool, right? For the good of my family, I wish I had a, a key to her gate. Now, to be honest with you, the reason I probably never got a key to her gate is because I had four kids. That's my fault, right? It's like not letting those kids into my house, right? What's happening with Abimelech here is he's looking at Abraham and he's going, God is with him and it would be to my benefit. Now, is that selfish on Abimelech's part? You bet. Will it be selfish on the part of the world when they look at you and they see the peace of God and the reasonableness of God and the generosity of God and the kindness of God and the love of God and the grace of God? May it begin with people going, I would like to experience love and grace and generosity and kindness. I would like to experience all those things. Might they initially come Knocking on your door because they're hungry for something they don't have? Yes. But ultimately, what they'll find is that you and I are just a conduit of that grace. That didn't come from us. We're recipients as well. So it's this commitment to be sharing that generously. He's, he's aware, he's accurate in his reputation, and so should we be, and he's approachable. I love what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans fifteen seven says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. That should be a convicting verse for us. How has Christ welcomed us? Freely, openly, lovingly. He does not hold our sins against us. He doesn't look down his nose at us. He doesn't hold us at arm's length. He allows us to come to him and say, Jesus, will you rescue me from sin and self? And even if you initially come to him with selfish motives, you want to go to heaven or you want to have your sins forgiven or you want whatever, you can come to him with selfish motives initially. He will transform that over time, right? What is, what is Abraham doing? He's reflecting the grace and the love that's been given to him. The peace of God passed on to other people. Not only that, there's awareness, there's accuracy, there's a, he's approachable. And then, then the next thing I want you to see is what happens next in the story. Go back to Genesis 21. They enter into this treaty and then look in 25. Now, we don't know how much time passes between 24 and 25. But in 25, it says, When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me. And I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set apart uh, seven ewe lambs of the flock, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So here's what happens next. Conflict. They enter into a treaty. They enter into this agreement. Abimelech goes, hey, you seem like God is with you. I want to be near you. So they enter into this agreement. And then the very next thing it tells us about is conflict. You want to know why? Because, again, everybody in the room and everybody you know and everybody who's ever lived is busted. 
You cannot enter into an accord with another human being without eventually dealing with some kind of conflict. Right? You probably experienced some of that at your Thanksgiving table, right? You cannot interact with broken human beings without dealing with some kind of conflict. I love that what happens here is that when conflict arises, so the conflict in this story is that Abraham dug a well, and then Abimelech's shepherds and Abimelech's people came and took the well like it was theirs. So what does Abraham do? Does he whisper behind his hand to all the people that he knows? You're never going to believe what Abimelech did. He said he wanted to have a treaty with me, and then he went and stole my well. Yeah, Abimelech's a dirty cheat. See? Right? That's a stupid voice. I don't know. What does Abraham do? Does he harbor bitterness in his heart? Does he hunker down and think mean thoughts about Abimelech? No. No. What's the key we're seeing here? In the revelation of Christ, what what does Abraham do? There's a conflict. Of course there's a conflict because there's humans. He addresses it. He addresses it with clarity. That might seem like the kind of thing that doesn't need to be said. But can I tell you that in the process of being ambassadors of God, for us, when we experience conflict, and we will, the thing we have to do is address it with clarity, right? To come to the person and go, hey, I dug that well, and your guys took it. And look what, it's really interesting in this case, because when Abraham says, hey, that's my well, and you guys took it, Abimelech goes, I don't even know about this, right? I, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. Nobody told me we took your well. I didn't know that was your well. This is the first time I'm understanding. You know how often in the midst of conflict, human conflict, that, that the actual issue is that you haven't talked and clarified what's even going on? You're believing things that are false or you're understanding things that aren't true. You've added things to the story that aren't actually there. The, the great thing about addressing conflict directly is that then at least you have clarity about what's going on. He says to Abimelech, you took my well. And Abimelech's like, this is the first time hearing of it. It's yours. Okay, we're good. And here's what's interesting that happens next. In addition to clarity, in addition to just being reasonable about it, then what Abraham does is he takes seven of his ewe lambs and he gives them to Abimelech. And this is weird. It's weird, so much so that Abimelech is even like, I don't understand what these lambs are for. Why is Abimelech confused about the sheep in this story? The reason Abimelech is confused about the sheep in the story is that Abraham is the aggrieved party. He's the one who had his well stolen. He's the one who had his property taken. He's the one who's been set aside. And he's the one then who brings these lambs. So Abimelech's scratching his head going, I don't understand why you're giving me something when I'm the one that took your well. So what do we see here? We see that in his addressing of the issue, he is both clear and reasonable and generous. That he's clear and reasonable and generous. He gives him these sheep and he says, well, I'm giving them to you as a sign that I dug the well. It's, a, it's an agreement between us, right? I will tell you that in your world, whatever your world looks like, I don't know where you work, I don't know what your family's like, I don't know what your neighborhood's like, but in your world, when that conflict arises, if you come back and address conflict directly with clarity and reasonableness and generosity, the conflict goes away. Why does he do this? How is he able to do this? Well, isn't this, again, exactly what's been modeled to him by God? What does God do when Abraham screws up? What does God do when Abraham blows it, when Abraham does something he shouldn't? God comes to him with clarity, and God continues to bless him with grace and generosity. The grace and generosity that's been put on display in Abraham's life, now all Abraham's doing is going, this is how God is to me, this is how I'm going to be to my neighbor's. This is how God God is gracious to me. He gives good gifts to me. I'm going to give good gifts to my neighbors, right? For us as ambassadors, we need to be aware that our circle is watching. We want to represent and reveal Christ with accuracy. We want to be approachable. 
We want to address conflict with clarity. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Jesus himself in Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And the last thing I want you to see in this text is what happens in the very last two verses. It says in 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Now you might look at that and be like, okay, that's just like a, that's just like a, a note at the end. He planted a tree, good for him, right? No, it, it's, it's worth thinking about here. He plants a tamarisk tree. Why does a, uh, why does a nomadic person a sojourner, a wanderer, why does he plant a tree? First of all, when you, and I had a gentleman come up to me after the service last, last week who's a, who's a geologist, and he says, you plant a tamarisk tree for your grandchildren, right? If you know anything about the Middle East, you're not planting a tamarisk tree for your shade because you're not going to have any shade under that thing initially. You plant a tamarisk tree because it will provide shade and peace and beauty for the people who come after you. So it's interesting Abraham plants a tamarisk tree. And in some translations of your Bible, it might actually say a grove. He plants a grove of tamarisk trees. What is it indicative of? Well, it's indicative of a man who's decided to put down some roots, literally. Who's decided to stick around. That's why verse 34 says, and he stayed in the land of the Philistines for a while. He stuck around, right? I think sometimes when we think about our ambassadorship with other people, we just want to do one good thing. Thanksgiving time, you know, let's hand out some turkeys, right? Christmas time comes, let's hand out a bowl of soup, maybe wrap a couple gifts, give them to somebody in need, and we just want to have these like one-off moments of grace, or these one-off moments of peace, or these one-off moments of generosity. What Abraham's demonstrating here is that he's committed to an ongoing revelation of Christ in the neighborhood, right? That he's sticking around. He plants a tree, and he calls on the name of God, the everlasting God. By the way, that title for God is only used here. It's the only time it's used. And the indication is That God is being recognized as a God who isn't just a short-term giver. That he's not just a flash in the pan. That God gives gifts with roots, with longevity. That God is sticking around. That he's committed to change in the long haul, right? Abraham, by planting the tamarisk tree after all of this, by calling on God the everlasting one, is saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stick around. I'm, I'm, I'm going to honor this in an ongoing way. So, so my last point this morning is the idea of abiding. And I don't necessarily mean it in the same way that Jesus calls us to abide in John 15, although there's similarities, but just the idea of enduring, right? The idea of, of continuance, of being steadfast. Abraham plants this tamarisk tree, and he's pointing at the fact that he'll be around. He commits himself to others as God has committed himself to Abraham. He commits himself to others as God has committed himself to Abraham, right? So we see Abraham modeling the character of God again and again and again. And the reason why this is relevant to us is that that's, that's the way in which we as ambassadors will have an impact in our world. 2 Corinthians, I know you've heard me read this before, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says in verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and we'll be his witnesses, his image bearers. We'll be his reflection. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. 
says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I already said this, but I, I just want to remind you, church, family, friends, in, in the coming years, and I don't, know, I don't know how long it's going to take, but we have an exciting challenge. It's a challenge. We have an exciting challenge in front of us as God's people, and that is to work together to repair and restore the image of Jesus in our city, the image of Jesus in our state, in our country, and in our world. There's been significant damage done to the reputation of Christ in our world. We see it all the time. But we are blessed to live in a time where by just leaning into the unblushing oddity of being people of grace, being people of peace, being people of kindness, being people of generosity, right? Being people of love and forgiveness. Simply by being people who look like Jesus, we will both stand out like sore thumbs, but we will also have the opportunity to repair and restore the image of Jesus in our neighborhoods and in our cities and in our workplaces and in our schools. We get to reflect Him with accuracy and watch the unforced appeal that happens when we reveal Christ, when Christ is revealed to us and in us and by us. That's what I see in this text. I praise God for Abraham and his impact on Abimelech's life, and we'll see that happen generationally uh, when we get to the story of Isaac and Jacob down the road. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you would get us excited, that rather than thinking about the daunting task of repairing and restoring your image, we would see ourselves as greatly blessed to live in this time, in this place. That we would see ourselves as blessed by you to get to be your ambassadors, for this church to be an embassy of the future. To reveal you in what we say and what we do. To be aware that uh, there are eyes that are looking at us. To be committed to accurately reflecting you. To be approachable. God, to be addressing the issues that come up because we're all human but to be committed to an abiding presence here at the corner of Bastancheri and Brea because that is where you have placed us. In our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our towns. To bear your image, not for our sake, but for the sake of those who desperately need to see what you're accurately like. Will you use us, God, and give us joy in that service? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.